Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Dark Side of the Word. I am Kate, and I'm here with my co-host, CJ. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and this month, for your dark and spooky book club read, we read Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. I know we have so much to talk about because there's a whole story behind reading this book, which we will totally delve into when the time is right. But we aren't just here to talk about the book we read. We're also here to talk about our writer's journey and to fill you all in on what we've gotten into for the past month because that's the other point of this book club, to give you a writer's take on the book. So I am going to give CJ the floor first to catch you all up on what she's been working on for the past month. Okay, hello everybody. Um, so I have finished my writing workshop, which means that I have finished revising my third novel which is awesome. Thank you, thank you. I'm very excited, and I, I love the revision. I absolutely love it. It's the novel I knew I could write, and I finally did, so I'm very happy to have that done. So my next steps are just doing, like, a quick round of edits to incorporate some ideas from the workshop, and then I'm setting it on to my CP, which is you, Kate, and to my betas and my husband for all their feedback. <laughs> I was just sitting here being like, when, when do I get my grubby hands on it? You will get it. You will get it soon. I'm hoping to get it to you by the end of next week. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so it'll be soon. And simultaneously, I've started working on my query letter, which I'll be sending to my workshop instructor to review. I'm working on the synopsis. It's like halfway done, and I started compiling a huge list of agents on Query Tracker that I want to query. I hope to start querying by the end of this month or like mid-May. That's the goal. Wow. Okay, so I need to block out time on my schedule to just read this book. You don't have to rush through it. You don't have to rush through it. Don't worry. Okay, but I feel like I do. <laughs> you don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to start querying at the beginning of May. I would like to, but even if you haven't sent it back yet, I am still okay querying without it. Okay, cool. And, uh, and for those are, that are maybe new to the writing or don't know what it is, what is Query Tracker? Query Tracker allows you to look up what literary agents are looking for and keep track of them. Like, and so instead of using a spreadsheet, which is what I used to use, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, um, Query Tracker just keeps track of all that for you and you can sort them by like the agency. You can make notes about them. It tells you when you submitted, when you've been rejected, when they've requested a full manuscript review. So it's just a really easy way to keep track of when you're querying. And I actually pay for the premium version, which is only $25 a year, which allows me to put several projects in at once. So I can kind of cross-reference who I've um, queried before. And that's really helpful. So I can see like, you know, if anybody requested full manuscripts before, if I should send them this new one, which I will be doing. Um, so yeah, I like Query Track. It's really helpful. And unless you're like me, who uses Query Tracker and an Excel, <laughs> that's just double work. Though some agents aren't on Query Tracker, so I have to like email myself notes about reminders to query them, and I feel like they kind of get lost in the shuffle. So if you're an agent, I suggest getting on Query Tracker. But like, I, I also like my colors. So like, if I want to, if I want have an even worse day than I'm having, I just can open my uh, agent list and just see all the red. You I know, mean, you have little red sad red. faces in this, so there's some color. And then there's, like, the green happy faces, which are, like, so few and far between. But I wouldn't know what they look like. I've never gotten one. <laughs> I don't know what, like, an actual, like, hey, you have an agent looks like, because I don't have that either. 
so. Yeah, but you have full request. I have so had full request. Yes, I, I have. I don't, don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I am still querying. I do not have an agent yet, so who knows what will happen? But I have fingers crossed for this book, novel number three, because I think I think it's my time. It's my time. <laughs> I am going to have everything crossed for you, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to be so excited to keep up with this progress. Also, because you're going to have another book that you're working on, because I'm going to make you work on it, because I want to read it. Yes, I will be working on novel number four this summer. And uh, But before that, I want to get back to the blogs. I've kind of let the blog drop off for a while. I haven't posted anything since, like, January so I really want to get back to that. So I started doing some behind-the-scenes work for the blog, which is wellreadtart.com, if anybody does not know what my blog is, um, where I do book reviews and book-inspired recipes and then talk about my journey to become a published author. So I also aim to have new posts up and running on the blog by, like, early May as well. I will include a link to your blog Thank in the you. show Thank you. so kind of you. See, I got to do these smart things, you know, where I include links. I'm supposed to be on top of this, but we like all know. Like marketing and promotion type stuff. The, the very true side of a writer. I mean, you're as much a marketing major and salesperson as you are a writer. Especially these honest. days, definitely. I follow, like, there's this one author and she likes his days in the life, which right now are very sad because they're days in the life of an author who has cancer. But oh God, that's on the awful. flip side of things. She does a lot of days in the life of, like, an author on um, deadline, blah, blah, mm. Anyway, and a lot of it's, like, I answered emails. I did this interview. <laughs> I had to talk to my agent. I had to do this. Glamorous. Now I wrote. And then I wrote <laughs> for, and then like, I wrote. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wrote. Yeah. You do well, a lot of other things except write when you're a writer. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool, though, because she has one of those, like, weird, like, treadmill desks, though. So she always gets, like, six miles of walking in when she's writing. I'm also, like, how can you walk and write? Because I don't think I could I ever. I would throw up. I would throw up from the motion sickness. Right? I think that there's a real thing, like, walking and I just, I can't coordinate my feet moving like that and my hands, like, typing. No, I absolutely cannot. I get vertigo so easily and I can just, I can just feel myself being triggered just thinking about that. So, yeah, that's not in the cards for me, unfortunately. But good for her. Good for her. Don't watch her videos. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will not now. Wow. So that is so exciting because I know you're telling me all about how you finished your workshop and that was really exciting and you made that deadline because I know you were pushing really hard to make the deadline of the end of the workshop. The day before I went into surgery, I finished the manuscript. Yes, which is why she should stop beating herself up because I don't think our listeners know that you went and had surgery. So I did. I did. You stopped beating yourself up. This is why she's not running her blog, okay? Now. She'll be back to it. Yes. Now that I have had my spinal fusion surgery and I am recovering from it, I can start being a person and a writer again and get back to things that I love that I couldn't do before. So Yes, friend. She's sitting here. What is it? Two and a half weeks post-surgery? Yes. She's sitting here in recovery, two and a half weeks post-surgery, recording this podcast because we are not going to let you guys down. No, definitely not. We are here for the people. For all you darksiders, we are here for you. Yeah, we're here to make our little coven of horror readers who just want the dark and the grisly because this is what puts us to sleep at night. Yes. I actually do fall asleep to horror stories. Like, I'll put on, like, those reenactment ghost shows or I'll just put on, like, any horror movie and I will fall asleep during it. It just soothes me and calms me and lulls me into sleep. It's wonderful. Okay, I wouldn't say I'm that person. We've gotten to a point where it's like... CJ's horror level is a trillion times bigger than mine. She will recommend movies to me and then retract her recommendation. <laughs> because yeah. she'll go, wait, 
you're not the audience. I am the audience for Dark, but I am not the audience for the too scary. She recommended what was it his house? Oh god, that was so good. That was so good. It scared the bejesus out of me. Okay, if it scares her, how do you think I watch it? I literally watch it. Because you have a a podcast and a blog called Dark Side of the Word, and I get confused because I figured that horror and supernatural stuff would totally be in there, but it's it's not. It's not. Not to the level where I am at, anyway. I literally watched the whole thing with my hands to my eyes, (laughs) creaking out between the tiny cracks that left over between my fingers. I'm I'm dead serious. I watched the whole movie with my hands, my eyes covered. (sighs) Man, there is, a, there is a movie I just heard about coming out now called Clock, and my husband saw the preview trailer for it, and he told me not to watch it, even though I will want to because there are spiders in it. Like, there's a warning on it in some site that says, arachnophobes beware. So I cannot watch it. But I am dying to see this trailer and this movie because it's about a woman who doesn't want to have children, and her biological clock is ticking, and she, like, checks into, like, some... I don't know, clinic or something to fix her clock, quote, end quote, to, you know, want a kid. And it just sounds so interesting and so intriguing and so creepy. Like, it has such promise to be so creepy. But I cannot watch it because of the spiders. I cannot. Yeah, where did the spiders come in? I still don't hear how the spiders come in. I don't know why. And I'm I'm terrified to look up the trailer or anything about the word. I'm terrified to Google spider. I never Google that word because. Mm -mm. Okay, can we stop saying the S word? Okay, yeah. As as Ron says, why couldn't it be follow the pretty butterflies? <laughs> Ron is my spirit animal. I so understand him. A hundred trillion percent. I hate spiders. That's the one thing we will, will always hold together yes. is our hatred of spiders. Well, I have I have distracted us long enough from from writing by talking about spiders and movies. So let's talk about your writing progress, Kate. So my writing progress did not exist because my husband had work in Ireland and this time I got to tag along with him. So we spent about 11 days in the Ireland, Scotland vicinity. So lots of just like absorbing things. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would say environment, history, the history of Ireland and the Eastern Rebellion is insane and crazy and there is this one specific story about one of the men that were arrested for the Easter Rebellion, Easter Rising, and the story with his wife that he married in jail. Like, I don't know. Something about that really struck a chord with me and I have this crazy story idea come to mind. Yes, yes. I'm going to keep it under wraps for now. Embrace it. I am so excited to hear about this in the off hours because this is is fantastic (laughs) sounding. I'm very excited. It'll line up number 10 in all the stories in my head. But... (laughs) It was exciting. It's funny because we talk about spookiness because when we we went to Edinburgh in Scotland and everyone says that it's haunted and 100% it's haunted and I had a very severe spooky experience there that creeped the crap or I will say shit because we are all adults here. It, It all pretty much started where we went to go to the vaults and I kept looking behind me as the guide was talking to us and I felt something was behind me and then all of a sudden the guide goes, we're going that way. And I was like, fuck. So you can let your mind wander. It did not end well. I wish I never did the vault tour because now I feel like something. Gross. <laughs> did you um, sage your home and yourself before? I saged afterwards? my home, yes. Okay. So, I, but it's still like no. Uh, <laughs> biggest writing update for me though is I finally heard back from Berkeley. Maybe they listen That's to right. our podcast. That's right. It's been over a year. I got to know. Surprise. <laughs> Which you kind of figured already. Thank you for confirming. <laughs> but Berkeley. I guess 
our podcast is that big because they heard me on here complaining that you know come on yeah they need yep. to and they're like, they need to we give an answer we dropped it and we got to make good on it and it's okay when i'm famous self-published author you know touring the world with mm-hmm. book signings they're gonna just be like it's a whole like jk rolling thing i know she's canceled but whatever the mm-hmm. point is whoever denied harry potter they're all yep. cursing themselves it's just gonna be another one of those exactly. they're just gonna curse me because i also saw jk rowling's handprints in edinburgh Ooh. I mean, she's canceled, but whatever, I had to see. (laughs) But I actually wanted to spend my time, I just kind of wanted to segue to a little conversation I've been talking to CJ about off the podcast recording. And it's not that I want to sit here and have us tell you all or talk about what's right or wrong. I just want to start a conversation about this in case it slipped through our readers, uh, listeners that are readers and writers. It just comes back to the whole gatekeeping thing as well. Mm. But if anyone has heard about the James Patterson attack on the New York Times bestsellers list. So for those of you that might not know what it's about, um, James Patterson wrote a scathing letter to the New York Times editor that they refused to supposedly publish about how they, their ranking system is not actually bestsellers. And it is ranked beyond more than just how the quantity of books you sold, but also some behind-the-scenes magic of popularity. Mm. And that is very interesting. Uh, I, you know, James Patterson has been on the list countless times. He's one of the favorites. So here is this white man coming to complain about a system. (laughs) Yeah. However, the source that I heard this from is from another writer who has been on the New York Times bestseller list, and she decided to share her experience with the New York Times bestseller list because what we all need to remember and to realize that is really important with this is the New York Times bestseller list can make or break writers. Yes. Having that NYT bestseller behind your name can change so much. Yeah. And it's a gatekeeping device. I think we can all agree with that. Whether or not the the truth is out about it, it it is a gatekeeping device. And she wrote a, uh, what is it, autobiography about her life Mm -hmm. and she did a ton of research to figure out how to be on the New York Times bestseller list and all the lists and everything and I believe I think you just listened to the podcast so correct me if I'm wrong I did but she was referencing was it the USA Today yes USA Today time so USA Today she was referencing because it appears that they actually do rank their books solely on number of books sold and she was ranked quite higher than another book and I don't want to say names because I'm not trying to like mm-hmm. you know this is not the point but she was ranked significantly higher than this other person yet when the New York Times bestseller list came out that other person was ranked three and she was ranked 12 <laughs> and not only that but she received a dagger by her name which a lot of us did not even understand what a dagger I had no meant. idea what a dagger was I don't think I've even really noticed them before so this was very interesting for me to find out about exactly a dagger means that they are not entirely sure if you gained your amount sold. Uh, sorry, my brain went blah, friends. <laughs> they, they cannot 100% back that the numbers they have are accurate and that you did not bulk buy your book to be put on the New York Times bestseller list. And this author went above and beyond, contacted her publisher, tried to contact New York Times to prove that this was not the case, but still to today she has a dagger by her name. And I feel like it's just a problem because we make and break careers by this again. And 
it, it's fine if they want to make it based on their super secret sauce mm-hmm. of how they rank books that's fine but then let's just change the name from bestsellers to new york times recommended reading or something yeah and they claim that they there's no way to accurately track the amount of books that are sold but um i'm sorry how can amazon do it don't get me started on amazon that's a whole other issue I specifically read an article. I can't. I think it was Slate. I read Slate's article about mm-hmm. this whole issue, and they specifically said that there is no way to be able to track because of these issues, including in that list, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, you specifically cannot track the amount of books you sold to be on the list because of Amazon? But Amazon keeps its own list track. It's just very interesting, and it just kind of makes me angry, and it just proves to me why I would like to self-publish and just put <laughs> these gatekeepers in their place and just read the books I want to read and not what people tell me to read. Yeah. I actually I used to look at the New York Times bestseller list like every now and then, but they have, from what I vaguely remember from the last time I looked at it, it had so many different categories that I found it hard to like find books I actually wanted to read. Um, and half of them I didn't even recognize. So I just stopped looking at it. I don't actually look at any bestseller lists or recommended reading lists to find reading suggestions. I just find them from like Bookstagram and you know blog recommendations from other people and friends and a few like personal Facebook groups I'm in about books. So that's where I get all my recommendations from. And usually they're pretty good. They're pretty spot on. So it's on a list. I don't personally care. But I do agree that it uh, being on the New York Times bestseller list can absolutely make or break an author. If you're on there, you're going to get seen, you're going to get noticed, you're going to be a very, you know, healthy published author with a with a healthier career, and it definitely it definitely makes a difference. So if they are doing something shady, they should own up to it and and fix it and make it right. It's just the whole you've passed that door again and been proven good enough. And I know that there are some authors that still make it on there even without the super sauce from them because they just sell such a large number that the New York Times can't ignore them. So I just hope everyone can hit those numbers. Mm. And that's the other thing. We don't even know what the numbers are because it just depends on who, which I've heard from countless authors before this even came out from Kim's past. And I've heard from countless New York Times authors or whatever. You could sell 10,000 books and be on the list. It just honestly depends on who who you're releasing with for that week. I feel like it's a secret society you can join, like you would find in Ninth House. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? I think someone's done with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we keep talking about it. I just, I just saw the opportunity for a segue, and I'm like, I never have these moments of brilliance, and I'm like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go with it. So you can edit this out All later, right. but that's okay. <laughs> no. I will give this to you with one caveat comment. This is just me bitching because I get really annoyed a bit. But in my real life, IRL book club. I have a girl in it that will only vote on a book that is suggested if it has over four stars on Goodreads. Oh. And I'm just like, oh. head bang, head bang. She's like, what's the one that has four stars? And we're all like, can you just vote on the book that you want to read? Oh, it's so subjective, though. You can like something that has like one star and... Well, we're going to get that in, into that with us because I think we have very differing opinions on this book. So, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what you think. And give something a try, even if it has two stars or one star exactly. or five stars. It doesn't matter. Which I am, I just, I just want for 
reference here, ninth house has 4.04 on Goodreads. That's a nice, that's a nice number for that book. Out of, okay, this is, this is the bigger number though. There are 2,220, or 226,000 reviews. That is ratings. a lot of reviews. That's a lot yeah. of books sold. Exactly. All right, so I will take your segue. Okay, thank and, you. And we will stop boring our listeners with <laughs> our outside side crap. I just, the whole James Powers thing, is I just want people to be educated and aware and maybe paying yes. attention and to see what comes out of this. And I just want to start the conversation because the amount of behind-the-scenes book conversations I could share on this podcast are so many. And it's just about us artists taking control of the industry and stopping these people that aren't artists and are just trying to take our money and can manipulate the system, like trying to cut them out and take our power back. Yeah. It's a rough industry we have chosen to try and forge a path through. Yes. So, which I think Ninth House is a great example as well of like, uh, just because like, say every agent you query doesn't like your book, Mm -hmm. CJ, (laughs) (laughs) does not mean your book is that and it could still be amazing and have an audience that just is out there. It's just not, okay, because maybe you feel the same way, but I just feel like every agent, book agent out there is the same typecast. I mean, I don't know any of them well enough or anything about any of them enough to see okay, that kind the of front, the front they put to the world between Instagram and, like, their blogs and their pictures and their bios, just that, that information alone, they all just feel like the same typecast. Well, you know, they have to work in a system, too, if they want to get paid. So I get if they have to do that, you know. And if I get – when I get an agent, because I'm manifesting my destiny, when I get an agent, I will get, you know, privy into that whole thing and maybe have a different opinion. Okay. It's just – when you're a weird, really out-there author like me, it just – it just don't feel like I fit in. But that's a whole other story that. for another day. So we are going to get into the book club part of the book. From here on out, my friends, there will be spoilers. Yes. So you have been severely warned. Yes, many spoilers, and especially for if me. If you ha- haven't heard the name 5,000 times, this is about Lee Bardugo's Ninth House. And as always, we will start with our star ratings before we get into it. So let's just, just all I want to know, what is your star rating? <laughs> That's all I want to know. Just tell me that. Okay. So... When I, you don't need to describe it. Just tell me your I'm not going to describe it, but there's, there's levels of rating. There are levels of rating because I, I was wishy-washy throughout reading. So do you want the, the trajectory or do you want the final? I just want your final right now because I want to say your final and then tell the, the listeners your backstory for this book. Okay. All right. My, my final score is two stars. Wow. Oh, my God. okay according to Goodreads. I am blown away. Okay. The reason that I am blown away, friends. <laughs> is because I get back from Ireland, okay, which was... I, by the way, I waited till you were back to text you this, because I, this all started, like, the day you left, and I'm like, I'm not going to ruin this poor woman's vacation. I'm going to let you frolic through the hills of Ireland and Scotland before I dump this bomb on you. So, you're welcome. I'm a good friend. <laughs> so, she contacts me, actually, it was the day after, because we got in really late. So, technically, the day after I get back from Ireland, which was roughly four and a half days ago... I get a text from her saying that she did DNF this book on page. 33. Yes, 33. I had a meltdown and I almost lost it. And I was like, 
we can't stop a book at 33 pages. We've got like to finish the book. We have listeners that are expecting us to have thoughts. And she went on a rant and she said she was giving it half a star. And I had to talk her off a fucking ledge. I would like to just interject that I recently had back surgery and and weaning off strong medications. So that that's going to be my defense in, in that portion. But I, I do... I am happy that we struck a deal. So I made a deal with Kate that if she read to page 33, where I made it to and was like, this is Oh, crap. no, no. It was page 50. Was it page 50? Okay. I said, yeah. if you make it to page 50 and you're not like, this is crap, then I will read to page 100 and then try to finish it for the podcast. But if you get to like page 50 and you're like, no, okay, you were totally right. I'm like, we're scrapping it and we're talking about how much we hated it. Okay, so I went up to her. <laughs> I read to page 100, and I told her that if she had hung around for a few more pages, it would have changed. So, friends, if you're feeling, as we get into this, if you're feeling like CJ did, stick it out till page 50. It's worth it. Because clearly, she went it? from half a star. Well, you went from half a star to two stars. To me, that is massively different. It's true, but we have a okay. long list to get through. Okay. Well, before we do that, I still have to give everyone my star rating. Okay. Yes, please do. <laughs> and if you hadn't guessed this, to no one's surprise, my rating is four stars. Four. I loved it. Four stars. Uh, you love this. <laughs> you loved it. Oh, girl. I, I already bought the book, too. <laughs> oh, my God. This is why we need video. If you could just see CD. <laughs> no. Uh, no, because it's bad. So I, I would just like to preface this entire podcast commentary for me by saying I do not like to eviscerate novels because I am an author. I know the hard work and blood, sweat, and tears that goes into making a novel, even like a semi-good novel that like most people don't read. You pour your life into this thing. However, I also believe in being honest. And when I have such a visceral reaction to something, I feel the world needs to know about it. So Okay. I should also say, if this did not have one problem with it, it probably would have gotten five stars. <sighs> okay. Okay. Are we still friends? Let's go. Are we still friends? We're still friends. We, see, we, we are showing that you can have differences of opinions and still find a way to work it out and be friends. This is a lesson, people. A lesson okay, in life, is, not oh, just books. This is also one of our co-hosts, though, because I know that we do not have the same taste in books. Which I don't understand how we're CP partners because we do not have the same taste in books. Because we can appreciate we can appreciate other things, you know, than what we write and what we enjoy. And we do have wide-ranging tastes in what we like. It's, I don't read women's fic, though, and you're a women's fic writer, and you don't really read, like, sci-fi, sci and I'm a sci-fi writer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we came to be. But I love you, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Exactly, same here. So it just happens, but it'll make this for fun. Okay, do you want? Would you like to start? Why? Okay. Like so, I, you know, interestingly, I feel that the fake diary quote on page ninety-three sums up how how I felt a lot about this novel, particularly chapter one. It's talking about Aurelian, and this is the quote: "They just lack any kind of style." Sure, the occasional bur they occasionally burp out a senator or an author of middling renown, but Aurelian Knights always feel a bit like you've been handed the transcript to a juicy court case. You start out excited, and by page two, you realize it's all a lot of words and not much drama. Lee Bardugo, I could not have put be it better myself. So, yes, I got to page 33, and I call it a time of death. 
So I have I have a list of eight things, Kate, that I hated about this book, followed by a short but concise list of four things that I did actually enjoy about this book. Um, do you want me to start going through my list? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think like well, if what my list would be, just like in my head. <laughs> I, okay. I also like to preface this, but friends, I did not read this book, start this book till four days ago. Because we all know I rush read these books before podcasts. I mean, that's very evident. I mean, last night I sent CJ a gif of a marathoner crawling across yes, the page. I mean, yes. like, I think they finished I'm reading t- it at the same time. Because, like, right as that was coming in, I was finishing up the last page and then throwing the book against the wall. And then I saw your text and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, fate. We finished at the same time. But I feel like the gift gave you the wrong impression of my feelings. <laughs> but, but it adequately summed up mine. So I, it spoke to me. It spoke to me. All right. You're, so you are so well organized, way more organized than I am today. So I'm going to let you take the okay. reins. You may begin. Okay. So I will But start. one by one. I got to yes. interject. Okay. I will, I, will, I will give my bullet point. I will explain why I have said bullet point, And then we will hear the rebuttal. Okay. Okay. So right. I hated the first chapter. The second chapter for me wasn't much better. So I read these chapters three times to make sure I wasn't just being obtuse and not like getting it or something, but I remained strong in my convictions. So my main beef with it was that I felt like I was just dropped into the scene without any explanation about who these people were and what was happening and why I should care. Like, I know she's setting everything up. I totally get that. But the name dropping just totally messed me up. So it was like Darlington and Orange and Harrowspex. Like, what the hell's a Harrowspex? Chauncey, Manuscript, Leth, Bonesman. They're just thrown around without, like, any real explanation about what they are. Like, would it kill her to add, like, street after Orange or house after Manuscript so you know what they're talking about? So... I feel like there's so much going on in chapter one that actually is very interesting with like the whole like, you know, innards and like trying to tell the future and like the ghosts that are freaking out. But I feel like I couldn't even appreciate that because I was so busy trying to figure out what the hell was happening and why that the whole impact of the first chapter and a little bit of the second one was just completely lost on me. It didn't get better for me until chapter three when a dead body showed up. I don't know what that says about me, but there you go. (laughs) Rebuttal. Rebuttal. I'm not going to disagree with you that much about the beginning. Because <laughs> it was very hard. I mean, okay. It's hard to be... I think that every story does kind of begin with someone getting dropped in the middle of a story. Because that's, that's how, like, a good story yes. is written. And we don't have too much buildup at the beginning in a slow start. We really do get dropped in, the, in a moment. However, her moment was very crazy and confusing i did like because it gave me a lot more questions than answers which is how i feel like a really great start to a book but i mean i won't disagree that it felt like one book till like page 40 or whatever mm-hmm. i told you like mm-hmm. it changes so then like pay, that page turn that i was like read a couple more extra pages it felt like a brand new book um and her yeah. writing everything one of my biggest complaints, and I don't understand this, Leo Ardugo is a massively published author at this point. How does she not follow the one rule of do not name your characters with the same first letter? I, I had problems with that, too. I, I Multiple seen, times. I've seen Multiple. other authors do that, and I'm always like, why? Why? It's the number one rule. It's like, come on, people. We have 26 letters in the alphabet. Like, Dawes. <laughs> well, Dawes also had three names. Let's just put Dawes yeah. and Darlington. Oh, it's not just... Uh, the yeah. first letter it's the first two letters and then what was the other one Mira and mercy at the end i was like oh my god who the hell is talking yes and then there was one more which i'm blanking oh there's one more there's one more very distinct per- 
grouping of people that have the same name. I would tell you, but I tried to push it out of my mind, so I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, wasn't it like her druggy boyfriend in past life? Lance. And then, no, Lance is the one, boyfriend of the girl who died. Lance. But Len. Len and Lance. Lance. Yeah. Yeah. And they're literally the same type character That's from two true. different. True. Two, but it's like, why did we both name them L name? That is true. I didn't even pick and up so, on yes. that, but yes, I agree. I so, agree. Another point against. Yeah, I didn't even know who Darlington was, so, like, way into Yes, I had no idea, and it bothered me. Like, I get, like, the whole in medias res, but, like, this was res-diculous, I think. Like, it was just taking it to an extreme. And the funny part is, is that, like, so you read a little bit, and then there's, like, that little intro about, is it Leth or Lethe? I don't know how you say it. Um, but it appears before... There's another L name. There's an, yeah. <laughs> And it appears before chapter four, and it kind of gives, like, a little explanation about things. And I was like, oh, where were you before chapter one? Because if that had been before chapter one, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. I agree. I, because the minute you, was, I think chapter two or three is Darrington's point of view, essentially. Yes. Without, like, making yeah. it very clear. When his point of view came in is when the story completely changed. Like, writing, it's when everything started getting explained. Because he essentially immediately yeah. talks about going to meet his... Dante. Yeah. Another D name. <laughs> Dante, Darlington, dog. Okay. When he goes to me, it's Dante. And it, like, builds everything up. And I get why we couldn't start with a with one of his chapters because he's a minor character. I mean, mm-hmm. really, the main character is Alex. Yeah. But his start was the strongest. That's like To me, that's when the story really happened. It, maybe it could have been better in a weird way if we were – because I think you would have let more grace in that. Mm-hmm. If that first chapter with Alex and the ghosts and the guy getting his guts torn out would have been a prologue or something, some sort of intro. Because you, you, yes. you are allowed to be extremely confused. But if we had started with the Darlington chapter, we would have thought Darlington is the main character and that is a problem. I thought we should have started with that little intro about Lev and then we would have known a little bit about what was going on and sure. I wouldn't have been distracted. Like that, Just that one thing. Like I feel like that's a huge – editorial glitch and I'm I'm sure like it was not an easily made decision to put that there but I do feel like for me it would have made me not want to throw the book against the wall after 33 pages the reason I did not give this five stars is her writing because not only was the beginning so rough and I feel like it will turn off a lot of people it was a book that you had to read so detail every word Mm -hmm. But not in a way that, like, my favorite author, Lainey Taylor, like, oh, you have to yes. read every word because it is just Brilliant. every word is so precisely thought out and yeah. you need it. Versus Lee Bardugo were in this book being like, you just have to read every word because if not, you're going to be left at the train station yes. and she's already to, like, Mongolia, I don't know, yeah. some random country. And you're just like, wait, what? I agree. I agree. <laughs> so I agree with you. That okay. is why it is not five stars. Okay. I, I agree with that as well. It was very heavy reading, um, especially for considering everything else wasn't as heavy, in my opinion. Um, but do we want to move on to my next yes. my next point of contention? Sure. Let's do it. And this, this, this is minor compared to some other things, I guess. But I was very annoyed from the beginning that Alex was on academic probation throughout most of the novel. Like, football players get passed into classes all the time because of the the prowess they can bring their academic university so i don't know why this wasn't offered to her until the very end when like you know as like a, a plea bargain or something so and it, it wasn't harped so much about on, in the book like it just kept coming up that she was worried about grades worried about this worried about that and i'm just like just freaking pass her she's doing all this work for you come on 
And it just really bothered me. It annoyed me because I feel like, again, all the money goes to sports and not anything else, even secret society people. <laughs> it, is, it is weird because she essentially was given what magic to do art her all of her entry stuff yeah. was fibbed and lied about to get her in so what's the big point of her going to school yeah she's just there for one reason and again it will help keep up pretenses if she at least you know passes she doesn't have to get a 4.0 but at least give her like something easily that she can pass with so well, it is interesting the whole three year is a dante one year is a virgil i think or vigil mm -hmm. why not just make her a cafeteria lady on the side. There you go. Like, why did she have to be time. a student? Yeah. Why did she have to point. be a student? That's a good point. And that's an interesting thing, um, that she couldn't just be a permanent member, but mm. that she had to, like, graduate from Yale in four years and go and move on to something. That, that's a very interesting thing. But yeah. it could play to the whole idea of, like, normal life versus the magical life, and there's some, like, deep psychological <sighs> combination of the two that we just aren't. I feel like it's just cruel, though, because, like, you know, academically, she couldn't keep up. Like, I couldn't keep up with the Yale people because I'm not that intelligent. And she's very quick and smart and things, but clearly she doesn't have the time or, you know, she doesn't seem as good academically because she dropped out. So being a Yale student would be really hard for her. Passing their classes would be really hard for anybody, but especially her. So why not give her a break earlier on? I don't know. It's weird, too, because off. her art class, which is she's an art student yeah. in the school, and she's faking all of that because they gave her yeah. that magic. So what's the point anyway if she's faking her yeah. major? Yeah, it just, I don't know. But it just, it just like niggled at me throughout the book, you know? Like every time it came up, I'm like, oh, just freaking pass her already, you know? Just, uh, again, it, like things that detract from the larger message of the book. I wouldn't say, it didn't annoy me like you, but I won't say that that's a good thing. So I'll give you that one. Okay. Give me some hardballs here. Okay. Let's have a real discussion. Let's have something that, like, well, really. Okay. Okay. Uh, this was a very rapey book, and I did not enjoy that. So we have ghost rape. We have Darlington's drug-induced attempted date rape of Alex in the bed and in the, in the frat house or whatever that was, the society house. Then we have the whole, you know, frat house gang rape with Mercy and, like, pretty much every other girl at Yale. And I feel like that these were thrown in as, like, plot devices to make the story more edgy and, quote, adult without actually having a good purpose. Like, a, a large part, we can get into this later, but a large part of my beef with this story is that it felt very YA with, you know, adult things and old adult themes thrown in to make it seem like an adult book, like swearing, like gang rape, like, yeah, I forget what else I had because I have it further down in my comments. But it just, it just felt like a device and I feel like we could have had Alex be, you know, upset about the ghost in another way you know, other than having a ghost raper in a bathroom at 12 years old. A little much. A little much. Okay, so clearly, I shouldn't have read the book I read before this one because the amount of rape in this book is nothing compared to the amount of rape oh, in the last book I okay. just read. Is it bad I'm picking a book two of that series? <laughs> and I, I just wanted to declare I'm not, I'm not triggered by it, th thankfully, but, I, you know, people definitely would be. And also, I just think it's in poor taste and didn't really fit. I don't think it was necessary to go that far with this plot line. No, I'm just trying to think about my own psychological state because I did not find anything in this book to be too much, and I think it was literally... <laughs> like, the other book has a very detailed gang oral rape scene... What book was that? ...in a hallway. Queen of Corinthian or something? It's a romance book. Okay. It's, it's very dark. My friend warned me. Because she's the one that recommended it. She okay. said it's amazing. 
but she warned me that there is yeah. there is trouble in it. There is problems with in it. Yeah. Anyway, so anywho, <laughs> anywho, all the rape was happening there, so this seems like child's okay. play to you. So. I'm going to go with the easier comment first, and then we'll come back to the rape real quick. I know that you said this felt like a very YA book, but I literally just picked up a YA book right after this from my In Real Life book club, and that that is, like, YA, and this does not feel like YA. <laughs> like, now I can see a real difference. This is not YA to me. This is very different writing everything because I just picked up a real YA book, and I'm just like, well, my IQ went down a lot. <laughs> but it has amazing YA books. I just wanted to preface that before people come at me. I have read YA books that I absolutely loved. An example is The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White. Amazing. Just groundbreaking Lady Taylor. for me. What'd you say? Lainey Taylor. Lainey Taylor. Lainey Taylor. Taylor. Lainey Taylor. But I feel like there are a lot of YA authors who have a different style of writing that I just feel is not as nuanced as it could be for a an older audience. This was I would call this book new adult. Oh, I agree. It, adult, it definitely fits the new adult grouping. And I think that that should be a genre. Not that we need a shelf for it at a bookstore. Yeah. But I think that for us as readers, mm-hmm. we should have a new adult category to look at, which then comes into a whole other conversation of like genres and ratings and all stuff, which yeah. I will say for another day because yeah. that's going to be long. However, going back to the rape, <clears throat> yes, I've said that word too much. Mm. I actually felt that the Marity one, right? Marity? Yeah. That was her name? No. Mercy? Mercy? The, Mercy? the frat thing with the- The with roommate, the, yes. The, the drink, roommate. The purple drink. Yes. Uh, Meredy is the drink. Meredy. Meredy. Me- Mercy the- had Meredy. Yeah, you're right. Holy. We have 26 <laughs> we have- letters, Lee. We have 26. Find a new one. Um, we couldn't have had an that- Xavier in there somewhere. <laughs> I think that that was actually really important because it set up all of Blake's. I'm horrible at name people. Do not judge. All of Blake's actions. And also, I think that unless Alex had the option of like the severe traumatic experience in the bathroom with the ghost touching her. I don't think just a ghost touching her would have done it because, you know, she's 12. We live in imaginary la-la land still, mm-hmm. kind of, that she would have gone to such an extreme with the drug use to be out of their clutches if that did not happen. I see your point, but I feel like people turn to drugs for lesser reasons than that, and it's so easy to fall into that, that there could have been other things. But if you watch her as a kid, they were not bothering her yet. She yeah. could ignore them. They were something that was just out of reach that bugged her enough, but she was, like, going in a good place of her life. I don't see her suddenly going to drugs unless something so extreme had happened and she had lost everyone in her life and she really wanted to cut this ability out. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do agree that, like, once I, I read that scene, I was like, oh, no wonder she went the way she did because she just wanted to block them out and the only way to block them out was with the drugs like i, I get that and so i do see such why fear huh? think about the fear because now yeah. it's fed by fear yeah before she didn't have the fear she had the uncomfortableness and the need to just want to be away but she didn't have that all-consuming fear mm-hmm. of like look what happened look what i lost i just i just was uncomfortable with it that's all i can I know. say I just, but that's the point is that you're supposed to be uncomfortable with it i know i know but still i just you're also still like it like me, where I pick up book two. Well, maybe if it wasn't like, <laughs> if that was the only rape going on in the book, I'd be like, all right, we had one scene. But, like, then we had the whole Darlington thing, where he's, like, feeling her up, and he's, like, spooning her, and, like, she has to call him off and be like, you know, buddy, just check your hands, or, like, you know, either do me or stop it, you know? Like, that was a little much. And then Abby, Okay, that was much. The frat I will agree. gang rape issue. Darlington was, was a much... 
I did kind of skin that part because I was annoyed. I was like, what's the point? I, I mean, we know that they had... I think it was always built up that there was something between them Yeah. this whole time. I mean, she has to like him enough to go to hell now. Yeah. But I do think that Enjoy that, that was just, like, thrown in there of just, like, oh, now we're going to get sexual together and there's sexual chemistry. And that was just, it was over the top. But I get the other two. Because also, we needed Blake to be such a scumbag to eat the poop. Come on. That was <laughs> that great. That was a fantastic scene. That was, that was a fantastic scene. I, yeah. That, that grossed good. me out so bad, though. That, that part was just had me, oh, like, oh, like, oh. oh. But we needed to have him to the point that he would, like, murder. You know, I don't yeah. know. It's just, like, we needed him, even though he was compelled at the end. I don't know. To me, those two made sense. Darlington, no. But... Yeah. Okay. Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree, even though I think I swayed you a little bit. <laughs> Just a little. Tiny, tiny. Tiny bit. We're still, we're still at two stars. We're still at two stars. I know. I don't, I don't expect that to change. I know you're still <laughs> going to hate it. <laughs> but I'm already, I already feel like a winner because now you're two stars. And you read the book. I feel like I a winner because you finished book. you finished the book. I did. I'm a winner. I Whatever happens today, I, I won. I did you and for our listeners. Darksiders, I did it for you. <laughs> just so you know that's my level of commitment to this podcast i'm already trying to figure out when i can shove in the next book because i really want to know what happens next <laughs> have fun with that you, just, you know what no don't let me know how it goes i'm not i don't care <laughs> have you seen the cover though because yes, it's way more gruesome is i mean the cover alone is enough to kind of turn me off <laughs> <laughs> i should also let the listeners know i actually went to Le- uh book signing by Lee Bardugo for ninth house so I have, like, a signed copy that I met and got to hear her talk about why she wrote the book. So she has an emotional connection, which means her viewpoint may be skewed about the book. No, she, okay. she, well, I mean, we probably <laughs> okay. went to Yale, too. So. we got to talk yeah. about that as well later on because that is, okay. that is an interesting point, a question I still have. Okay. But we'll now, get there. Continue. We'll get there. Continue. Okay. Something a little lighter is oh. the words of death that Alex and Darlington use <laughs> at the Greys to scare them off. Every time this happened, I burst out laughing. Like shouting, take courage at a ghost, like, or something akin to like a Wordsworth poem. Like, how is that supposed to scare them? Why didn't they just yell like, funeral, death, decomposing body in a grave? Because that would scare me, human or ghost. And like, they're spouting poetry. And it's just the most ridiculous thing ever. And I just wasn't buying it. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Because, because they're Yale students. No, bullshit. It's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. And, like, I, I read poetry, like, take courage. And, like, I was trying to figure out how the quotes can remind one of death. And I'm like, there's not a lot of scary death talk in there unless maybe you know the whole poem it's being quoted from. Do these ghosts know the whole poem it's being quoted from? Or are they just hearing this and just being like, oh, those are kind of scary words somehow? I feel that they're scary. No, yell funeral, yell death. Don't be yelling, take courage. It's like <laughs> a right, fight about it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I just, I didn't yes. care. To be honest, I just didn't care. Okay. Okay. You want the next one? They could have been like, they could have been circling with the wishbone to find water around these ghosts and I probably wouldn't care. <laughs> okay. Next, we're on point five. Okay. The whole Tara death suspicion thing takes way too long to unfold. I feel like really? I feel like Alex is so certain that Tara's death is suspicious, even though there's no real proof for a while, and it takes her 
Like, there's a lot of her being like, well, you know, this is a dead end, but I, I still really believe that this is going to be me linked to the society, so I'm just going to look for it again tomorrow. And she spends a lot of time doing that, and then it takes way too long for her to get proof that Tara's death was suspicious, and then it takes way too long for her to convince other people that Tara's death is suspicious, and then finally, it takes way too long to find out who Tara's killer is. I feel like we could have cut out 100 pages of this shit and just gotten to it more quickly. Because there's a lot of repetition, a lot of like, hmm, this doesn't add up, but it kind of adds up in my mind. But only I know, and I, I can save this. Enough, enough. Uh, I, I, two things. One, like, mm-hmm. didn't she sense something at the beginning when she first got there? She did. And she also felt that it was a re- ritualistic location. That didn't. Co- I feel like that didn't come till later. She describes the roads or whatever at the very yeah. beginning when she arrives. So, partly there. So, to me, she always had that gut feeling instinct that something wasn't right here and there was more to it and that's what kept driving her on and that's that's fine that's great like a lot of stories have that and i totally embrace that i just feel like it went on too long before we had proof of yes you're right a little bit not a whole lot just a little enough to annoy me trying to think when she first got evidence because it wasn't when she went to the morgue there's like all these like false starts and stuff like it just keeps going on and on and on she went to the morgue Correct. Went to the morgue. Where she found... I don't even remember. Something. And then that ghosty thing came after her. Well, the ghosty thing was the number one thing to tell her she was going the right way, which happened right after the morgue. Yeah. So that was her, something is here. But it wasn't, like, explicitly linked. She just thought it was linked, but we didn't know it was exactly linked. It was It was linked. Why would a ghost come after you right away? A golem, golem, whatever they're called. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, which she was just going to check the morgue to check her death, and that was it. And then that happened, and we continued. Because I think also, okay, think of the backstory and all this. She wanted to investigate it because she didn't want Tara to end up with with an unwritten story. Because she saw herself in Tara. Actually, no, she actually didn't see herself entirely. I think she saw what, Heli? Yeah, she thinks the reminder of Heli. And I think that with what happened with Heli, she couldn't give it up because she wanted to, like, right her wrongs. Yeah. And I think that was it. Took too long for me. It's too long. I'm usually not so, like, hard and, you know, dry about this, but just took too damn long for me. See, I think for me, I just, I was so sucked into this world, and I loved Alex as a character. Like, I I was obsessed with her, and I was obsessed with, to me, this book was so dark, atmospheric, gothic beautiful in its telling in that sense that i could have lived in here forever because i, I mean even dawes i love dawes so much Dawes-y. she's like one of those really cool characters where it's like what's his name from star trek like the side character that does the helpful things but oh, reimagined know. in a way that made her like unique and different and still mm-hmm. like you wanted to hate and love her at the same time and like their bond growing throughout the book was just beautiful. That was very like, sweet. I did like that as well. Oh, uh, it was like at the end it was just like Yeah, I it was good. When they crawl into the too. hospital bed together and I'm like, Oh, besties. See, that was a love story. That was a love story. It was. A beautiful love story. I love I love friend love stories. And so and I even like Turner. Yeah. The upstart fun. Turner. Like, I think that I was so fine to live in this world. I didn't care how long it took to get anywhere because mm. I was just been like with other books, yeah. I wanted to live here yeah. so long. Yeah. It was just a well to me it was a well-built, well-crafted world. 
I do feel like she, you know, one of the one of the plus points I have for this book is that the world building is amazing. It's so intricate. It's so detailed. Everything is interconnected. Like the way she keeps track of everything and creates rituals and creates spells and creates demons and ghosts, like all these different things. There's so much packed in here. And I really do admire that because that is so difficult to keep straight and so difficult to make unique and terrifying and intriguing. And I think she did a really good job of building the world that you feel you got lost in, you know? I mean, that's, that is her skill. Like, if anyone's read Six of Crows, all of that, that is her skill to build, like, a cast of characters in a world that we just want to live in. And I think that it, it also had a really interesting juxtaposition that here we had this girl, which I actually will have a complaint that I'll add in, in okay. here. We had this girl who is from the Drake Society in a sense, like, has ruined her life, has nothing to go for her, has no education, no anything, and yet now here she is not only the protector, hmm of these societies because she's protecting them to do their magic but she is also the rule enforcer she is mm. the cop of the societies because she's the one that has to such as them going on halloween night where they went on halloween to go make sure that this house wasn't doing anything wrong mm. i found that very interesting yeah my one problem that i glaringly jumped out at me besides like the first part was Dar darrington all of a sudden coming up with oh you killed everyone in that house. Yeah, I, I don't know how he put two and two together there. It, that just came out of nowhere. nowhere. I, okay, I, I thought that was me, and I thought I missed something, but thank you for confirming that, because I really thought that was quite no. the leap all of a sudden. It was such a leap. It was like all of a sudden, like, wait, because their conversation was fine, and then he just kind of looks at her and goes, you killed them all. Yeah, like, how so, did he know that? And then it turns him into her villain, because yeah. she, like, Oh, wait, do I really want him back? Did I let him die to protect? Like, oh, come on, we don't need that side plot. Agreed. Agreed. We didn't need that at all. And you're going to go save him anyway. Yeah. Like, that was pointless, didn't need to happen. Mm -hmm. They could have left all that out, just had him eaten by the mouth. Yeah. Which I still don't even understand, like, except for the fact that, which I think it could have been written. Why did she need a handler and why did he have to disappear? Like, that felt really out there. Like, I love him as a character. Darlington? Yes. Okay. But I don't get his point in the whole book since, one, he's barely even there as a real character. Yeah. And two, okay, make her like an older person that's been there a while. Yeah. That yeah. didn't need a handler. Because clearly he's going to graduate in a year and she's going to be on her own for two years. I mean, you know... Part of my disappointment with this book is that, obviously, Darlington isn't dead. Like, we all know he's not going to be dead. That was not a shocker to me. Because why would we be reading about him if he weren't, if he were dead? We wouldn't be. Yeah. You know, he's just so, you know, prevalent in the first early chapters when we see so much about him without him even being in the scenes on the page. But, so, by the time you get to, like, that guy's like, oh, the hell beast did. I'm like, no, the hell beast did. And he's not dead. He's fine. This Cut the shenanigans. We all know he's fine, and Alex is going to go looking for him in the next book. Boom. Okay, but the interesting twist, because they don't actually outright say this, they say the only way a person can become a demon, right, or yes. whatever, is by killing people, being a murderer. And we don't, we, we're alluded to... black there. Well, we're alluded to him killing his grandfather, but we don't actually know that he killed his grandfather. Oh, so when that right. part came out, I was like, so he did kill his grandfather. That's like, right. that part gave me chills, and I went, oh! That's right, yeah. He did kill him, because you, cause you see him as, like, this good old boy, so obsessed with his family, wants to work on the legacy of his house, only trying to do good, live by the book. He is, he is quote, the knight 
that he thinks he is. He is the Don Quixote riding towards the windmill. Like, he is Alex the... said, knights carry swords for a reason, which I thought was a beautiful quote, by the way. There you go. We need to write that down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, that moment, that, that transition actually really got me in the story. And I thought it was beautifully done. Because it's just like, oh, man, he isn't as clean and nice. Yeah. And maybe that's why, like, we could have had an understanding with him and Alex about her killing the people. Because, yeah. again, did she actually kill them? It was Heli, not her. But Well, like, he, in his head, you know, he killed his grandfather. It was a mercy killing. His grandfather asked him to do it. And, like, I happen to believe in a person's right to choose whether they live or die if they have a disease. And assisting suicide in that case. Um, so I feel like his you know, transgression falls more under there where he's looking at what's-her-face as, like, a cold-blooded killer who just massacred people in cold blood and, like, bludgeoned them. So in his head, it is very different. But at the end of the day, he still took a life, you know? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know the particulars of how or why. Like, knowing her past, like, and where she came from, didn't he want to give her, like, a little credit? Like, you know, maybe some guy was abusing you and, you you, you know, you cut his balls off or something because that's what you should do if he's abusing you. You know, there was nothing of that there. we didn't get that chance, though, because he was sucked yeah. up by a mouth. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I feel like he should have thought. He seems like a, a, a smart guy. Like, he should have, like, kind of thought that already. Like, not just been like, you're a murderer, but like, oh, you killed somebody, but you probably had a damn good reason to do that. But maybe that was, weren't they supposed to have a conversation at the house after they fixed yes, the Yes, they like, were. Thing? And then he got so maybe that would have happened. So. That's true. That's true. Oh, I just, the more we talk about it, the more I love this book. I'm having the very opposite. I have the opposite reaction, but yes, I'm glad that you are enjoying the book. All right, what's another? What's another point? Okay, six leads into seven. Just to warn you. Okay, we'll go for both. I don't think we needed the whole bridegroom plot. It totally distracted me from all the Tara stuff and just seemed like a random veer to the left every time it came up. So I feel like we gained momentum and just slowed it down. And I know it ties into the very end, and but it still feels unnecessary because wait for it. I think the whole bell bomb stealing souls and bodies thing was totally over the top and ridiculous and also unnecessary. We could have just had, like, Sandow be the shithead, defeat him, and then go on with getting Darlington back. Didn't need that whole side plot, which also I called early on. I did not call her at all. I, ta- I, I wrote down dean. page 87, what's-her-face is connected with the murder. Wow. Because wow. why else would she be there? Well, I thought she was just, no. uh, her, Alex is tied to the real world. Nope. Nope. Foil. Interesting. So that's another reason I'm... why I was so bored, because I'm waiting for her to, like, come out and show. I had to wait a really long time for her to show her true color, you know? And Sandow, I knew he was a bad guy when he's like, oh, he's gone. We can never get him back from the hell beast. I'm like, you're a liar. You're a fucking liar, and that was a fake ritual that you did. We're going to find out about you, too. It was obvious. You had your haunted, uh, how to sell a haunted house, because like that was me and the little boy, like super early on. I saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. Okay, but <laughs> how would you have wanted the nexuses to be created? Created then? I don't know. So they have a billion rituals. Like, can't they do it like another way? The whole st- it just the stealing bodies thing. I just I, no. She didn't no. steal bodies. She ate souls. To steal their body. I thought she stayed. No, she's still in the same body. She's still. But still, okay, eating souls then. uh, No. No. Too much. Too too many things. Maybe a different book, if that came up in like book number three or something that was revealed, I might have been okay with it. But I feel like 
it's just so much was trying to be packed into this one book like did she not know she was going to have a more than one book deal and was trying to wrap it up and stuff but then at the end we're going to get them but I don't know I just feel like it was too much we could have ended at chapter 27 for me and been been good the last 50 pages dropped my rating I was going to give it a 2.5 or a 3 and then the last 50 pages I'm like no didn't need this back to two I feel that Lee Bardugo is too big for her not to know that she had more than a one book deal for this yeah then we could have spread it out we could have spread it out if we wanted to go there would you have been okay if the bridegroom story had continued through the series and at the very end that's how we found out that would have been okay that would have been okay but I still think it was too much within this story. like you had Tara you had Darlington that was a lot going on already and like the whole mercy thing and like people doing stuff it was a lot okay so what if you found out at the end of the book that it was the dean and he was trying to create a nexus but nothing came out of it and so the the series continues with the discovering of how nexuses are created mm -hmm. and so that's like the common theme throughout is that they these houses start infighting so much because they're losing control and the powers because that's a big thing the yeah. powers dropping in some and all stuff and that becomes like the theme throughout the three books and then we find out at the end that sh alex is the key to creating them and then that's like the end all of the whole series as her deciding whether or not she would do you know blah, blah, yeah. blah, the morality of it and yeah, oh. yeah. i feel like that would have been okay especially if they took the bridegroom plot out of this book completely and put it in another book like the second book because i feel like or it just they, jumbled too much in this book i think that it would have been fine if the him saving her and her grabbing him as like her her veil buddy yeah yeah and then she offered to help but like nothing resolved in the first book and yes. then the second book i will keep looking i promise yeah. and like we get more information yes. and the, it's that let thin thread that's threw it off yeah i agree i agree I, with that i i won't disagree with you in the sense that i mean i still liked it i won't disagree with you because i feel that going into book two i don't see a point of book two i only want to read it because i want to see darlington but i'm not sitting here like mm. there's actually a book two here everything was really wrapped up in book one yeah Except and Darlington think, and where, where he's been and that he's a murderer. Don't you hate it when you write a book better in your own head than the author and now you're sitting here like, why didn't she do this? Because it looks like there's going to be a third book too and you're just sitting here like, They probably is. They don't do two first. It has to be a trilogy. She has done two first. She has so. done two first? Okay. Yeah. Like Six of Crows was a two first. Oh, okay. And you're just sitting here like, why didn't you do this? Yeah. I feel like it was it's just weird. so much crammed into it and it didn't need to be. Like, again, it distracted me. This whole book felt full of distractions for me that took away from the meat of the story. And that was my main problem with it. I would have enjoyed it if it had been boiled down more and more focused and nu nuanced. Nuance is the word that I keep coming back to. It is not as nuanced as it could be, which is one of the reasons why I feel like it's more YA because it's just all over the place. And there's not a lot of mystery being built either. It's just... Just kind of running amok. No, I mean, okay. Well, okay, what's your last point, though? What's the end of We kind of covered it. I said the whole story should have ended at chapter 27. <laughs> there we go. I'm actually surprised. For how much was packed in, I was shocked it was only 450 pages. <sighs> there was a lot of pages. However, I will say, though, that the last 50 pages being agonizingly dull for me was just fitting because it mirrored how agonizingly dull the first 50 pages were for me. So at least we bookended ourselves in that.
in between that, I actually did enjoy some things in the book. There were some good things, but really the beginning and the ending and the points I pointed out are what dragged it down for me. I can feel you. Yeah. On a side tangent of my brain just going, ah, about the book is like, I loved how the houses were kind of alive. That was interesting. Have you read Sorcery of Thorns? No. It's a really cool book because people use magic in certain ways to create spell books and that in turn makes the books become come alive mm. and create their own uh, personalities. It's really it's actually a really good book. I really like it. Okay. One of my favorite authors. Um, don't make me say her name because I don't remember. <laughs> One of my favorite authors wrote that book. So anyway, side tangent. It's okay. We've okay. heard my voice enough about this, so why don't you talk about what you loved about this book and why it was so good for you? I've sprinkled it in. I know, but there's got to be, like, more. I don't know. Okay. I'm trying to get my thoughts all together for it. Okay, I'm not a Lee Bardugo fan. It may sound like I am, mm -hmm. by the way I talk about this book, but I'm actually not a Lee Bardugo fan. I did really like Six of Crows because there are a lot of... Okay, backtracking that. I like Six of Crows because I'm a heist girly for life. It's one of my a tropes. What? Heist. Like, heist okay. spy thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, any kind of, like break in and mm -hmm. steal those type of things i'm a sucker for i'll watch any movie about heists and i'll read almost any books about heists because it's just okay it's it's my trope I we all, we all have our vices so we mix that in with her great character building six of crows i will say six of crows is fantastic however her shadow and bone series i i dnf'd halfway through the second book mm. <laughs> womp womp and I really, like, tried to give it a good gung-ho because <laughs> it is the romance ship of, like, mm. whenever those books came out. I mean, that was the romance ship for, like, forever. That's all my friends would talk about. Okay. It was, like, her and the Darkling, her and the Darkling, her and the Darkling. So, you know, I had to give it a try. And I own all the books, so, yeah. So, I will, like, oh, and I did, like, her Wonder Woman book. Because she did do a Wonder Woman book. And that oh, might have been my first entrance into her. I'm trying to remember. Anyway. So... I was on the fence about this book. I did not go in being like, ooh, Lee Bardugo, I'm going to love this book and read it. Mm -hmm. I very much went into the fence, especially because it's her first adult book. But I don't know. I was so surprised, like really happily surprised. I think that it was a struggle to begin with, but I stuck it out. I survived the beginning a little bit better, I think, because I was okay with all the questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did think that, it did jump you right into the atmosphere. Like the opening line of the book, which was essentially it took me, it took me like until spring to get the blood out of my winter coat. Like mm -hmm. that opening line was immediately just going to suck me in and, and consume me. And I just think that for me, a good story has to have like extremely strong world building. I think that's one of the reasons I loved Foundry Side so much. Mm -hmm. If it has strong world building and amazing characters, I'm sucked in, even though I'm a plot person, which is weird that I would say that. <laughs> but I think it was just like I was so consumed in the world. I remember thinking like yesterday I was sitting there and I was like, I have 200 pages to finish to get this book done in time. And I was like, I wish I had more. Like, I was like really upset <laughs> when I was done. And That's I was so happy. a great so feeling happy. to have, though, about a book. That's, like, the best kind of book you could hope for is one that you never, like, you have, like, ten pages left, and you're like, I don't want to read it because I don't want it to be over. I know. I was just sitting there, like, I am totally fine with having to, needing to read 200 pages today, which is not always the case. There are some books that I'm just, like, like our last book, ugh, that, I maybe that was, like, the hardest book to get through. 
and I mean, I went and bought the book yesterday, book number two. Uh-huh. And now I'm trying to, like, do the math and figure out where I can fit it in. <laughs> <laughs> because now I'm like, I want to re- read Ray Polly book number two. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got In Real Life Book Club book to read, which I am hating already. And I'm just sitting here Which like, book is that? Uh, Skyward, the Brandon Sanderson YA series. I don't know that one. It's. You want to talk about this book being a YA read? <laughs> I feel like then this would be reading middle grade. The writing is so bad. I'm not a Brandon Sanderson fan. Never have been. I don't think I ever will be. If Okay. Side tangent for our writer listeners out there. If you want one of the best free classes out there that ever, I think, put my writing over the top is to watch Brandon Sanderson's writing lectures on YouTube, he recorded. He's a BYU professor, and he recorded all of his lectures for one of his classes and posted them on YouTube. And I think now he, if unless he deleted them, he has two different years posted. Oh wow! And you don't have to be a sci-fi fantasy writer to get mm. tons out of this out of the class. It is for sci-fi. It is prone to sci-fi fantasy writers. It just means that his examples for when he describes in the books are more sci-fi fantasy books, but they're the mainstream. They're like Star Wars, yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, Aragorn um, what was the other one there was another big one but they're like all things that we will have watched and read yeah. and know so when he gives examples of storytelling you're able to really easily follow along yeah. he talks about publishing in there he talks about imprints and houses he talks about character building like, it was one of the best beginning places that I ever started on my writer's journey and I recommend it to anyone even though I do not like him as a writer <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting actually I love that I love that and I also appreciate his story of when he was a, like, very first book out there, like how he would go with his buddy and do his own book tour and pay mm. for his own way and just go sign in whatever bookstore he could and see if they had stock and just how he, like, naturally built his own thing. And now he has his own publishing house, Dragon something oh, or whatever. Wow. And That's for him. He has, like, he employs, I want to say, like, 40 people now. Wow. Under all of that, I don't, I don't quote me, but, like, he has this whole thing and I can really appreciate that and I I look up to him in that, even though I'm like, mm-hmm, I don't like your writing. Mistborn to me was so boring. I've not so read anything boring. by him. I've not ever heard of him, except I think maybe once you mentioned I should listen to his writing stuff. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Don't, don't, I mean, listen to his writing stuff, but don't read him. Okay. If I don't like him, yeah. you are not going to like it. Doesn't, doesn't bode well, does it? <laughs> I feel like the one sci-fi fantasy book I recommended to you, uh, which was uh, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, which you might have already I love, read it. I have already read that it. one, yeah. But see, like, that. that was the one I would recommend to you, and guess what? You loved it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm very picky. Even though I still think you need to read House on the Cerulean Sea. I will get it's, to it eventually, because I hear a lot is, of good things about that one. It's so marvelous. It's just, it's also just one of those books that just, you feel so good. When you mm. want a book to make you, like, believe in humanity and just feel good, oh. even though it has the Antichrist in it, read House on the Cerulean. There's an Antichrist in it. I am all for that. So I'm Antichrist, that and you, up. you still have a warm, fuzzy read. Okay, um, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have wanted to read it. It's just it's so many books, so little time, and it's been hard. It just keeps slipping off my list for okay. some reason. Okay, no, no, bump it back up. Okay, okay. All right, 
Let's wrap this all around to the book we are actually talking about. Okay, so you had good points. We heard you bash this book. Can we hear some good things? Yes. Uh, so, Alex, I loved her. I loved her snark. I loved her great sass, her whole great suck my dick attitude, especially toward the middle and the end, where she just starts, like, using her own power and just, you know, letting people know, like, she can do what she needs to do. And that's why she's there. She is what kept me reading in this book, not the plot not the world, not anything else, just Alex's character and her one-liners and her sarcasm and her dark humor. I loved it. I thought that was fantastic. Like when she, when she goes to uh, that one house and she like puts that chick in a headlock and threatens to rip out her earrings, I was like cheering so hard. I'm like, yes, you show her that's awesome. Show her who's boss. And then the whole poop eating thing, fabulous. Alex was, was key for me. She was wonderful. I feel oh, that so many people attempt to do Alex and yeah, attempt to and try that, and they fail. Yeah. And I also appreciate those quiet moments that Bardugo brought back because there is that, like, suspense of disbelief, but I like the moment, like, after the, the headlock ear-ripping moment mm-hmm. when she was with Dawes privately and Dawes was like, oh, Where'd who you are you? There was such a beautiful, like, humanity moment of, like, we're not going to ignore the fact that she just acted like a crazy yeah. weirdo. Yeah. And we're going to bring that to the conversation. Yep. And I Agreed. really appreciated her handling of that. Agreed. Agreed completely. Completely. I also loved when she finds out Heli is dead. That just, oh. I gasped. That, that just hit me like a knife in the chest. I didn't expect that. And that was... I'm even getting choked up about it now because that just hit me so hard and that was so well done. And you see why she's been on this crusade, you know, because that, that's how she found out. That's awful. This woman just keeps getting crap thrown at her, you know. And she still has a loving mom. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that was actually quite a little bit of a disappointment, though, because it had the whole uh, storyline that she OD'd with her friend or essentially mm. had too many drugs in her system yeah and clearly she didn't yeah. and that she was awake with her friend died and then to explain that away it was heli being in her and possessing her put the drugs in her so she passed yeah, that, that, was, that was that part uh, the possession that okay the drugs a little much everything else but to describe a way so that you could say that she was passed out yeah. and not yeah that was that was too much movie magic for me yes i i agree well put well put um yeah, that's really it. Um, I mentioned the world building being impressive. I was I like that a lot. Um, but just overall, like, it just never really shook that YA feeling for me and trying to be adult by putting in, like, gore and rape and drugs and the word fuck to make it adult. It reminded me of when, like, a Disney child actor, like, decides to take on a sexy adult role and, like, they're trying to show that what they can do with their acting chops. But really, it's just a role where, like, they take off their top where they have, like, a naughty sex scene. But there's no actual, like, nuanced acting to show their skill level. I felt like that's what this was for me. I do feel that at some point we need to have our conversation about genres because I feel that this actually was a really good book to do it. But I also feel like this podcast is going to be way too long and I don't want to ignore poor our readers. <laughs> it is, this is probably going to be our longest podcast yet. Probably, because we had so much to say. Okay, but last thing to wrap it all up, if we had to come to this for writers to read this book and look out for, I think for me to point out, I think like communally mm-hmm. our decision on it would be like, this is not how you start a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Dropping readers in, I think, is really important, yes. but it's also a skill, mm-hmm. and you've got to balance it. Because isn't that our it, – that, see, I can't talk today. And the point I thought about when I was reading the beginning of this book is 
I know that every book is supposed to be about a, a character's wants, but isn't also about why we read is because we pick up a book to have questions posed to then figure out the answers at the end. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, you still need to start a book with questions. Yes. You still need to start a book with to make people want to like figure out where is this going? Mm -hmm. What's happening? Why is she who she is? I mean, these are all questions that are established at the beginning of a book. It's just that you've got to walk that line. And I feel that this could be a good book to like read to pay attention to that. Yeah. And again, I feel a lot of it could have been solved by moving that one section up. And then also just adding something as simple as like street after orange or house after whatever to just clarify and like ground you and set the scene. Rather than be like, well, what's that? I don't know. I haven't heard that term before. How are they using it here? Oh, it's a street name. Okay, I can keep on reading, you know? Yeah. And I think that this is where having like a really good beta readers or alpha or CP partners could really editor, help. Book editor at a major publishing house. Some, yeah, I don't know. I don't <laughs> trust them anymore. I've seen a few books where I'm like, this got past the editing. <laughs> don't even get me started on Catherine House. That's another book I eviscerated on my blog because that I don't even understand how that one made it into the world. But this is also why, like, we do have multiple types of people read it because yeah. mm -hmm. then we can take in certain grains of salt and add things in and be able to like understand people's understanding of the story. I mean, I had that a lot with the book I'm, you know, Prices that I'm working mm -hmm. on. Publishing is like I had to un hear what people understood about the story as I was writing. Yeah. But on the flip side, you could also read Ninth House for excellent characters. I mean, yes. this is the first time a not very likable character in the sense of like she's not like this normal good person that we like. You know, she is dark. She is not a good person. Mm -hmm. um, done really, really well so that we did yes. root for her and the world building. The, yes. the spooky atmosphere of world building was superb in this book, and mm -hmm. as writers, we can read that and take Definitely. lessons from it. Definitely. I have one remaining question. Okay. So I feel like Bardugo bangs you over the head with the fact that New Haven is basically a shithole. How does New Haven <laughs> feel about that? And Yale, like Yale doesn't come across much better. Like she's an alum. Does she, is this a social commentary on her time at Yale? Did she hate it? Is this a revenge book or, or what? Because it's very, it's very heavy with that. And I just, I would be offended if I lived in New Haven. And I've been to New Haven. And, you know, my, my, my friend who lived there, she told me about how a torso was found in an empty building near her apartment building. Like, just the torso. So, like, it tracks. It definitely tracks. But how do we feel about just hitting us over the head with that? So, I went... Uh, this book came out in 2019, so we're talking okay. like four years ago okay. I heard her talk about this. So my memory will be fuzzy, Okay. but if I remember correctly, she is not fond of Yale. Okay. She does not like Yale. That's I think I she expected. has really bad feelings about it. I know that she bases on her own experience with the secret societies of Yale. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are secret societies, and so not that she was, I don't think she was a part of one, but I think that there were things like that yeah. ruled that school. So she based that a lot on it. Um, but, yeah, I don't think she really likes Yale. Okay. That, that, that makes sense because if she did, this would be a real kick in the pants to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone follows her on Instagram, I think it's really funny because she is very much a, like, gothic, emo, hmm. I'm a vampire in the closet style person. Okay. But she lives in sunny California and loves, feels like she's, like, is a Cali girl. You're from Florida. <laughs> And you are the palest person I know who loves, like, dark stuff. If I was in Florida, I would not be this pale. I do love to sunbathe. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, if I was in Florida, 
Like, the minute it's warm enough to wear bathing suit outside here, I will be back in the sun. Like, this is just, this is forced on me because, like, today, it, it's been a torrential downpour for three days yeah. and cold. So, I I almost lost it this morning. I want to move home. <laughs> I miss the sunshine. You can come to Jersey. We've had abundant sunshine for several days. I hate days. you right now. Can we not? Please come I'm tired visit. of all my friends texting me about, like, skinny, <laughs> like, they're completely sunbathing in the nude right now at home i did not oh, do that like, so you have no reason to envy me just fyi yeah i'm just I'm, i, I sunbathe in home. a back brace that's not much fun so there you go <laughs> oh you're gonna you're gonna get horrible tan, tan lines, lines. <laughs> so uh as usual we will wrap this up with our rating after talking and i mean i think we can all assume i'm staying at four stars i think we can all assume that i'm staying at two i think we may be surprised i didn't lower it during the course of our conversation but i made peace with my rating early on really because i feel like even though you talk yourself into hating it more i also feel that you found things you loved about it too there were several things i loved about it but the the parts that i did not love about it unfortunately took away too much enjoyment for me but i can see how other people might find like yourself might find this a very entertaining read. so it was okay well we went from you wanting to burn it to not wanting to burn it anymore so progress is progress that's a positive this is where the one time you're glad you got it as a library book yeah you can shove it off to the next person and forget it exists yes i have it here it's overdue as of today <laughs> well, i'm even gonna owe a fine on this book because I kept it for the podcast in case I needed a ready reference. But it's gone back tomorrow. Mine's still sitting on the bookshelf because I stupidly forgot to bring it over here. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, well that is our book club for the month. Yay! Now next month, I'm actually really excited. We're gonna jump into the genre of historical fiction because that's our goal here is to mix up the genres so that we get a wide variety of dark readers. But I'm really excited. So we're going to be reading the super exciting curse spread by sophia mcintosh and this is a very recent book it is based around the small town of point saint esprit when it lost its mind in the 50s and it's kind of going to view how why it lost its mind as well as put in i think some of its own like made up fictional story to it and it mentions bread so maybe there'll be carbs in it which is always a nice thing in a reading carbs are always dark and gothic come on (laughs) But I'm really excited. I read the synopsis for this, and I was immediately like, yes, yes. please. Yeah. And so. that I, I discovered that book through, like, some random publishing house newsletter that I did not even know I signed up for. So good marketing job, whoever published this book, because that's what got us to read it. <laughs> Yay. I'm excited. I'm also excited to, like, when we jump into a romance genre, because there are just so many dark books out there. Whoa. Like yeah. the one I just read could have totally been it, but I think we might have lost some listeners. <laughs> we'll sidebar that. We'll sidebar that one. <laughs> hard, hard pass on more rape. Thank you. <laughs> but now is not the time to leave the podcast no. because we all know that it is not, we don't just read or watch one dark gothic thing a month. We mm-hmm. also need more. It is our soul, our life. We are all about the dark things. So we are going to give you guys a recap of a few things that we think are worth your attention. Do they have in to be dark? Books or movies. <laughs> okay, but fine. <laughs> well, it, it, you liked it. You're a dark person, so maybe they will. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. There's our segue. Do you want to start since you have the, the dark suggestions or recommendations? Uh, so this girl was in Ireland, and <laughs> I don't. I would not recommend the romance I read. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up watching 
reality television. So I watched, I binged Next in Fashion because I needed some inspiration for my own stuff. And I will say, if anyone wants a great British baking version of fashion competition show, the amount of tears and the amount of feel good, like you just want to hug these souls, it's amazing. And then I ended up watching Murder Mystery 1 and 2 and was surprisingly enjoyed it more than I thought I would to the point that I was like... No, it's the um, How to Solve a Murder Adam movie. Sandler. Oh, oh, okay. What's the Friends girl? Jennifer Aniston. Anis- Aniston in it. Oh. I was surprisingly really liked them. I got horrible like pre-reviews of mm-hmm. it. I have on this like Goodreads version for movies, and they give you like mm-hmm. what they think you're. Well, one of them was a thirty-four out of a hundred, but I Ooh. totally gave it. I gave it in the sixties. Good for you. It was to the point that I was like, I kind of wish I had watched them with my husband. Oh, I hate when that happens because, like, you're halfway through and it's like, I really want so-and-so to be here. And you're like, well, I'm going to keep going anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so surprisingly shocked that they were as good as they were. Hmm. And if you just, you can't find anything to watch and you're on Netflix, give it a, they're funny. They're funny. Okay. I like Adam Sandler. I always used to enjoy him for a good dose of random comedy, so. I appreciate the second one. Uh, the second one isn't as good as the first one. It is, like, kind of downhill, but I did like how they tied it into the first movie really well. So it mm. really feels like a okay. continuation and not just, like, oh, we're going to make another movie because we can and we made a lot of movie money with the first yeah. ones. It really, like, blends in extremely well. But it, I mean, it was a little bit more like, eh, but I still enjoyed it. It was on a plane. I was on a 10-hour flight, and I watched them both. So, yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to consume content except for really spooky Scotland. Edinburgh tours and which is so nice. Cliffs of Moher and and that's yeah, all I was you really should have been doing while you're on vacation. exactly. I was on my trip. Yeah. Well, that and we, my husband and I started watching Bling Empire because we couldn't get <laughs> Peacock overseas mm. to watch our Bravo shows. So at night we binge Bling Empire. Okay. <laughs> what about you? I'm hoping you have more than me, and you can give our reader something. I good. do. So since I have been recovering from surgery, I have had plenty of time to plow through my TBR list and plow through my Netflix queues and my HBO Max queues and just everything. Okay, you're plowing through your TBR list. Why is not Cerulean Sea, House on the Cerulean Sea? And because it hasn't come in from the library. Oh, okay, I'll just mail you my copy. I'm kidding. I go, I go by library copies. Like, whatever it comes in, I read that. Whenever it's due back first, I read it first. Is it on your hold shelf? No. <laughs> it can be. It can be. Okay. But it's not yet. Okay. okay, I'll put it on. I'll put it on. I'll put it on. I'll put it on. Anyway, I read Spare. I finished reading Spare, the Prince Harry book. I give it four stars. I loved it. I devoured it. I was moved by it. I am totally hashtag Team Harry, Team Megan. Um, you can come at me with whatever you want, but that is just how I feel. I feel like it was a very personal look into somebody who has a toxic family. And as you know, toxic families are really hard. So I think that he, as I say, spoke his truth. Everybody's entitled to do that. And I wish him and Megan well, because it was just, it was sad to see a lot of what they went through. Whether you believe all the craziness or not, still some things that they went through are definitely true, and that's really hard to deal with. I don't understand how anyone can not read Spare and not be anything but Team Harry, because it's just like, this is his truth, and this is what's happening, and we're not trying to throw King Charles under the bus either, because I don't see it as that. It's just that this is the truth, and King Charles has been born into the same problem and system, and he's just a cog in the wheel now, and... As is William, Sally, you know? Exactly, and Harry's the first one to just not be another cog. Yeah. That's all. That's all. That's it. That's it. And anyway, I loved it. That was great. 
Then I read the London Seance Society, which is by Sarah Penner, and I had loved her first book, The Lost Apothecary. Uh, that was fantastic, one of my best reads that year. And this was only two stars, The London Seance Society. I just couldn't get into it. A full book review will be coming in the next few months on wellreadtart.com. Um, but for now, two stars. Um, if you're going to read one by Sarah Penner, read the first one. Um, and now that I've finished plowing through Ninth House, I can go back to my current reads, which are The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell, which is historical fiction. And Kate, you might actually like it a little bit because it is about the Medicis and like Renaissance Italy. Um, and since you recommended that show to me, this might be a little up your alley. Um, and I'm also reading The American Roommate Experiment, which is a very steamy rom-com with a very sexy Spanish male love interest. And I may have read ahead a little bit to scope out the sex scenes and quality quality so that is what i'm reading <laughs> see to me if i'm gonna read romance i want them to be steamy no fade to dark yeah no there was no fade this was probably one of the steamiest and boundary pushing in a healthy way of romances i have read okay what was that called again the american roommate experiment the first chapter or two is not is not the best um i just didn't like how they made the main character but i after that, it, it's really good. Like, it, it takes off. So just get past the first chapter if you're like, eh, and then it gets really good. Okay, I'm adding that. Okay. Um, in terms of movies and shows, um, I watched both seasons of White Lotus on HBO Max. Very oh, I watched. Oh, I did. I watched Yeah, you watch that? Okay, I did. Oh, this is what happens when I'm multitasking. Oh, give me, listeners, give me two. There I, we go. Okay. I actually binged all of season two while I was on vacation. Oh, nice, nice. I did not, I did not watch season one, though, because season one, I heard you didn't I have think. to. Yeah, I heard one, you didn't have to, and two, mm -hmm. the, season two is based in Italy, and I'm obsessed with that. And oh, so I just, beautiful. I for, totally forgot about that. I binged the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I watched I watch both. I binged them. The first one was okay. I kind of stopped halfway through. I only watched it because my writing group was raving about it, and I was like, okay, let me give it a shot. And then I'm like, what are they talking about? And then... Again, I was recovering from surgery. I'm like, well, let's just try this again. And I finished it. It was all right. And then I watched the second season, which is in Italy. And I just, just for the scenery alone, it was fantastic. And I want to go to a resort that is like that, but not have all the weird adventures. Just have, like, the fruit and, the, like, the breakfast spread each day. I've been to the Amalfi Coast, which isn't Sicily, but the Amalfi Coast, and it was a phenomenal. I swear to you, the food in Europe is just so out of this better. world. So much better. My stomach was amazing in Ireland and Scotland, and now I'm back here, and I'm eating like how I normally eat, and my, which is healthy, yeah. guys, healthy. And it's just, you know, you need to go. I don't want to spoil anything about White Lotus. I, I, I was very disappointed at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On multiple relationship accounts yes, and multiple I, I would agree. We can discuss privately about that. Yes. <laughs> um, I watched Daisy Jones and the Six on How Amazon. How was that? It's on my list. It was good. It was a decent adaptation. I loved the book, um, and I didn't okay. think I was going to because I don't like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I don't like interview-type things, but I ended up loving that book, and I think they did a really good job of bringing it to life. They changed a lot. There was a lot of changes. Not, like, major changes, I guess, but, like, I read a comparison of the changes. And I had noticed a lot of them. So that was kind of like trippy. But it's worth it. If you like the book, I think you should give it a try. The music's pretty good. It got in my head after I've, a while. I've heard, I haven't heard good things about it. Especially with people who read the book. Really? So yours is a very positive take when I have not heard okay. positive. Okay. I'm not saying it's fantastic. Just a decent adaptation I would go with. You know? 
Um, still working my way through Glitch, like I mentioned last time, because I was watching all the other stuff, and I'm watching, catching up on my 90 Day Fiance the other way, because <laughs> it has been too long without my reality TV. Yeah, I gotta get you hooked on Bravo shows. Yes. I used to love Project Runway, when you're talking about the, oh. uh, the fashion one. You'll love Next in Fashion, then. Yeah, I loved Project Runway, I was obsessed with it. Well, obviously. No, watch Next, it's so good. Okay, I'll give it to What's it called again? Next in Fashion. Next in Fashion, okay. It's on Netflix. I'll give that a try. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, that's but it. But that, I think, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we still have tons to consume for the next month. Yes. And we hope all of our listeners stay dark and interesting and they keep wearing black clothes because don't listen to everyone that spring is coming. I <laughs> deny it all. I will still keep my black Embrace in my closet. Embrace your inner Alex Stern exactly. and wear your, uh, wear your black everywhere. And if you would like to keep up with us between podcasts, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Kate Armada or A Well Read Tart. And I will also include all those in the show notes. And if you really liked this and you want to help support your, you know, small time writers and artists and people, the best way you can do it is like leaving a tip for your server, like, comment, follow us, mm-hmm. you know. That helps more than you can think. It brings us more awareness on the platforms that we're on and helps us to also know what you like. And it brings and us joy you... that people are actually listening to us. Yes. And if you'd also like to be more involved, make sure to follow us uh, a Dark Side of the Word on Instagram because I do post about, like, question boxes. So if you have things that you want to talk about for the next podcast and that book, I take questions so that we, and consider them to be brought up on the podcast and things like that also just fun quotes and other things and you know books and just fun things and hopefully i too will get my blog back up and running but that's our goal that's our goal for the next podcast that have made some progress on our on our blog yes and don't forget cursed bread for next month and we hope that you guys have a great time bye friends bye